It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I'm delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. <laughs> Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. Normally, it's a weekly news and talk show about what's cool, new, and we're talking about in the books and reading, but every time and again, it is not, and today it is not. We're doing one of our occasional features, Book Nerd Movie Club, where we read a book that we have or haven't read before and then watch the movie upon which uh, that movie, uh, watch the movie that is adapted from the source material and talk about the Twain Together, today, we are talking about The Martian, the book by Andy Weir, the movie written um, by, uh, the screenplay written by Drew Goddard and directed by Ridley Scott, based on that uh, book starring Matt Damon. And we're doing it because, A, we like the book and the movie, that's one reason, but based on a conversation we had during our fall preview draft, which you can go listen to, bookwrite.com slash Paul, uh, bookwrite.com slash fall draft, there'll be a link in the show notes, bookwrite.com slash listen. Um, we had an occasion to talk about how much we like The Martian, uh, and one of the books that I picked, and maybe, maybe be one of the reasons I'm getting the votes, whatever votes I am getting, people are mentioning a particular <laughs> book. I'm going to be cagey. Go listen to it. Gumroad, it's been really interesting. We've learned a lot. You can download the MP3 DRM free or listen in Gumroad's app. I'm not sure we'll use the same platform again. We've gotten a lot of good feedback. Thank you so much for your feedback. It's been very interesting and yeah, very helpful. incredibly useful. But it, one thing that's been said is that people really enjoyed the draft. That this, I think we've got this kind of down in that the new tweak where we don't know each other's, we don't have the same uh, draft board. And we mm -hmm. took Harlem Shuffle off the top because we both of them hit pick number one. I think made for some interesting conversations down the line. But in the course of that, we had the occasion to remember again how much we liked The Martian and how much we liked the movie. And we were on, we were on schedule to be ready to do another one of these. So that ergo, we're doing The Martian by Andy Weir, which we're going to get into in uh, just a minute. But first, sponsor break, then we'll come back. It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I am delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. All right, Rebecca, I've got a little bit of an outline. It's kind of along the lines of what we've done before. Yeah. A couple of things occurred to me. One is, I think this is the first one we've done where the book was out and we had read it before the movie was ever a thing. So that our primary first, there was no, you know, oh, oh my gosh, that we've talked about on this show. Can you remember another one that's been like this before? Oh, I can't. But of course, now that you're asking me, I'm blanking on every other version of this. <laughs> that we've done we've Fried Green done. Tomatoes. We've done Jurassic Park. <laughs> Amanda and I did Hunt for yeah. October. 
We did. I can't think of one where dreams. you and I had our primary experience yeah. was solely with the book. And then the other thing We're, is. You're right. You're right. Oh, we did Romeo and Juliet. Right. Which we but, weren't around for yeah. the original of that. Right. Though right. I'm feeling older <laughs> well, these days. Obviously. <laughs> and then the other thing is you and I read, we were doing Book Riot. Like this was a Book Riot contemporaneous thing where we were reading The Martian. It had a moment yeah, among our is... staff. I think maybe we played some marginal part of The Martian having a publishing moment, right? Yeah, I think we maybe played a, a marginal role. Bob was like, right. why are you doing The Martian? And I was like, well, you know, j because we felt like it. <laughs> but it is the ten about it was about 10 years ago right now. It, it, it was originally published in 2011. Um, mm -hmm. And that is when Book Riot was born. And those two things are definitely inextricably linked in my mind. Early Book Riot days and The Martian coming out. So I guess, unusually for us, we can talk about having read the book with the movie not being in existence, which I don't think we could for any of the other ones. I can't, I don't, I yeah, think all the other true. movies we've done, my first experience with the title was the movie, the Shawshank, um, I guess Romeo mm -hmm. and Juliet. I, I probably saw, did I see the, it doesn't matter. But like the various, they, they were out there in the culture together mm -hmm. in a way that this wasn't can you remind me do you remember what's your sense memory of reading the martian for the first time oh, how did it come I, to you do you remember any of this yeah. i have a really strong sense memory of it which is kind of surprising for me because usually about six months after i read something most of it has faded <laughs> it's like a half-life of makes... carbon it just disappears yeah. and it's no longer radioactive <laughs> yeah, which yeah. i remember that i liked that but i won't like remember many details of things yes so it was early days of the martian i remember that liberty hardy was talking about how great the Martian was for months and she is always ahead of the curve yes. and that at some point I got I must have gotten a galley in the mail I remember it was a paper galley and it was 2011 so e-reading was not great at the time um, and I remember I don't remember when I started it but I remember that I finished it lying in bed in the middle of the night the same day that it was like Mm. Oh boy, I'm in. I just got sucked in. I'm in it. What's going to happen to this guy? And that experience of like staying up way past my bedtime to finish a book happens to me maybe twice a decade. Like I'm very devoted to my bedtime. <laughs> and so I remember finishing this in the middle of the night and being like, whoa. It's like the rarest thing that most readers get. Maybe some people operate this a lot of the time where you stay up and you can't wait to read the book. A lot of the times that's not how it happens for me, I should say. It's it's memorable. And I guess that brings to mind the 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 exception to the rule I just said of we haven't done these where we had that experience of the book first. The other one that's like this, frankly, is The Da Vinci Code, which we knew the book first. Mm -hmm. um, right. And then the movie came out later. But a, a similar kind of reading urgency to it that I can count, I mean... I'm. I think I'm. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking about like the road. I'm thinking about the Da Vinci Code. I'm thinking mm -hmm. about the Martian. Um, I think about IQ uh, was one that I got into that. But like, it's pretty rare that this happens. Yeah. And then the other thing I think both of you and I did is we started recommending it to people not in our book lives, right? I mean, I yes. certainly did that. Yeah, I'll have to go back and ask Bob if he remembers. But I think that after I read this within a year or two later we listened to it on audio together i'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that that happened <laughs> i might be inventing that memory because this is the kind of book that we listen to together on a trip um but yeah I, re I recommended this so widely and it was one of those swiss army picks for years and that yes. by the time we started this show in 2014 something like that i think that's right yeah 
Don't yeah, folks were, whenever we did our first um, gift recommendations show, people were still, the book and the the book was recent enough and the movie was new and people were mm. asking, what can I read that's like The Martian? And it's not as recent now, so that's sort of faded, but it, it does have so much utility and it's good for so many different kinds of readers, which I think is something we should come back to in talking yes. about how do you make a science fiction book that you don't have to be a science fiction fan to read. Mm-hmm. So it's in rereading again. I hadn't read it since I read it the first time. I hadn't come back to read it again. I don't typically reread pleasure reads like this, especially one where a lot of the momentum of the book is what's how is this going to all shake out? On the other hand, I have rewatched the movie several times, which I think is interesting. One, you can do it in two hours and Michelle likes it. I've watched with my family and my family. We watched it together last night, had a really grand old time watching it. So (laughs) Interestingly, my primary experience has shifted to the movie. That's when I think of The Martian as like, where's the locus of gravity, I guess? It's the movie is, <laughs> and, the, and the book is the thing upon from whence it came. But I think that the things I liked about the movie um, are all there in the book, maybe just more yes. so. So I've got a four-part theory about why <laughs> The Martian works. Would you like to of hear it? Of course you do, obviously. And then you you can... Tell me how I'm right or wrong or how else you want to gild the lily of my rightness. Showtime. Um, first and foremost, I think these are these are in no particular order, but I think this is the first one. Robinson Crusoe in space is a great idea. Yes. It's just a good idea. I don't know what else to say. I don't I can't believe someone hasn't done like this. Apollo thirteen is this a little bit like how do you survive? But it's different the, the difference is you're not talking to Houston the whole time with the Martian. It's a dude. And it's a dude, and we can talk about that later, but it's a person by themselves having to make it work and watching mm-hmm. them work. And that's mm-hmm. a great idea. We haven't seen it like this in a long time. Castaway with Tom Hanks is a similar idea, but that yes. is almost literally Robinson Crusoe. But there's several <laughs> key differences between that that the Martian adds to Castaway that, that make it more pleasurable. And the second one is lean into the science. Yep figure stuff out. You have a scientist. It's a science-heavy environment. You got to do a lot of science to survive on Mars. Whereas if you're surviving on an island, probably not as much. Maybe if you know a little bit of biology, you can eat. Maybe if you're a botanist on an island, you can eat that and not eat that. Whatever. You're a doctor. You can remove your own tooth, the most harrowing scene out of Castaway. But there's a lot more figuring crap out to do in space. And Mm -hmm. that's what makes this fun. You got to figure crap out. Yeah. It's just like one problem after another and there the problems aren't solved by am i strong enough to chop down this tree or like what's the weather gonna do all these things that are uncontrollable but like can i figure this out with my brain and i think that's appealing to people too it's all i think it's also one of the reasons that the that this is so widely relatable is that everybody knows what it's like to try to like puzzle through something and can i figure this out and it's also some wish fulfillment and some fantasy of like whatever the thing is that I'm super good at, I'd be able to like solve myself in an emergency situation with my brain. It's really mm-hmm. appealing to consider. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a um, high anthropology here of the possibilities of one person with good intent and pluck and, you know, a couple yeah. of PhDs, <laughs> what they can do. Well, yeah, and even the closing lines of the book that are something along, the, like the closing paragraph is something along the lines of like, it just, you know, they came back to get me because it it reflects this like fundamental human thing that humans want to take care of each other and humans are good and will show up. And that's a, a really generous and inspiring reading too. 
which I'm not sure has been borne out over the last couple of years in a lot of ways. That's uh, I'll save that for my. Did you did you sense what, my hesitation? What questions we have about how this would actually go down, or, or, or you know, tr- try not to think. We usually do a segment that's like try not to think about it too hard. Like mm-hmm. one of the things, and one of them is along those lines. So the lean into the science. Robinson Crusoe in space is a good idea. Two more. One is the the live blogging epistolary structure really works. Yes, right. It, it works it's so. It good. just works. Yeah, and it, I think it's that sort of present tenseness of like he's not yeah. writing in present tense, but you feel like he's telling you about what happened right as it just happened because it's laid out of like this happened on Saul twelve and then Saul thirty five. It's not a stitched together narrative all told in retrospect. And that here's today, what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows? Is so yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Right. As opposed to say, I guess the foil I'm using is Castaway, which is a lot. If Tom Hanks is saying anything, he, they have to invent this idea of Wilson the ball. Right, just to have something there, <laughs> well, some externality to talk at. Yeah, yeah. And you know that he's just talking in the book, he's just talking to the computer where he's keeping mm-hmm. the log. And in the movie, it feels like he's talking to us, but it's it's in real time. There's not an opening scene where we know that he's, you know, in his 60s on Earth right. telling, his, telling his story to someone. The stakes are really high and the ending is a question. And the conceit at the beginning of The Martian, at least, and, and the movie as well, is that there's sort of, a, I'm doing this for posterity live bloggingness of it, mm-hmm. because at that point he doesn't know how long it'll be before anyone realizes he was there. And as a good scientist, wants to document, like what yeah. happened, what went wrong, um, eventually becomes more of a live blogging kind of for sanity kind of reason, I think. And then eventually he's in contact with Earth. Oh, I guess I should say there's spoilers. If you, <laughs> it's you 10 seen, years please, old. Please don't, please don't the... do this. But yeah, uh, we're going to spoil it. Um, and that's, it feels very believable now. And, and in, this, in an increasingly social media world that he would be inclined just personality-wise to live blog it, even without the science sort of rationale, yeah. makes sense. It doesn't feel phony. It doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel forced in a way that... In the book, it feels a little bit like, would he really be writing all this out in this way for posterity? Mm-hmm. Probably not. But yeah. if he's talking into a camera, it's just different. It's just, it's more yeah. of a, the performance is on, it's not subtext, it is text that he's performing for the camera. I thought that was one of the smartest adaptations that they made in going into the film is that he's just talking to the camera, which yes. of course, I guess the alternative would have been that Matt Damon voices over the entire movie reading those logs. And that would not have been nearly as enjoyable. Yeah. And then I guess that transitions to my fourth thing, which is a kind of my catch all bucket for this, but I think it's true, which is the voice of the book, the voice of Watney Weir's voice. There Mm -hmm. is a, how how would you could it? It's a serious book and it's certainly smart, but it's very light considering that it's, it's the dude's life on the line. I think it's to steal the tagline from my former podcast, Book Rageous. I think it's serious, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. Right. And right. that Watney is the same, that he is obviously a serious person who's achieved all the things that it requires to become an astronaut. And he's in a very dire situation, but he doesn't take himself too seriously. So the voice is playful and it's, and it's very human. Like, I think if you get apparently killed on Mars and your crewmates leave and then you wake up alone with a giant thing sticking out of your chest, your first thought of I'm pretty much effed is that's pretty that's pretty true. And his reactions, the reactions that 
that uh, Andy Weir lets the Watney character have throughout the story are really believable that he gets so angry when he finds out that the crewmates don't know he's still mm. alive and how that plays out I think in the movie especially is really well done yeah and you know I think the I think the unfair largely unfair but also usable shorthand of dad humor you know is <laughs> yeah. if you haven't seen it convey you know what it is which is it's it's not sophisticated, it's not an ironist, but it's also not despondent. It's also not urbane. It is very kind of salt-of-the-earth kind of jokes. And I think there's a, a high-low thing that's going on very interesting as Watney and the rest, and frankly, um, Martinez, who's his best mm-hmm. friend on the Aramis, used this jovial, undercutting each other, self-deprecation as a way of diffusing the tension, right? It's a yeah, very yeah. usable and understandable narrative or you know a personality choice like this would be a helpful thing to have humor is a very useful tool to have in times of stress and it serves mm-hmm. Watney well and that kind of believable experience of it is also fun to watch it just makes yep. it then that much more interesting to watch where if you compare it to Apollo 13 right. which is pretty deadly serious and straightforward and it, it like the whole the whole experience of Apollo 13 has a, a crew cut um yes not that there's some moments of levity, but that's a different, it's well, just a different vibe. Yeah, there's this wonderful moment, I think pretty early in, maybe even the first time that we see the folks at NASA, like thinking about Watney and knowing that he's alive and like trying to solve the problem when where Vinkit Kapoor is like, I wonder what Mark Watney's thinking right now. And it hops to Watney's entry in the journal and he's wondering, how come Aquaman can control whales? They're mammals. It makes no sense. And it's like, yeah, this guy is trying to survive alone on Mars, but his, he's also doing that thing that all people do, which like our minds wander and we think about weird stuff and that we're recognized that, that, like, I, that that part of humanity would still be true even in a really dire situation, mm-hmm. I think adds to the, the believability and the relatability of this in a way that, you know, something like Apollo 13 is very dramatic, yes. but doesn't acknowledge all the multitudes of a person's interior life in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really interesting to see how that voice is so different. Cause in a lot of ways they're very similar. It's like a lot of the, a lot of the pleasures of Apollo 13 manifest themselves in a similar form, you know, competence fetishization, like make this mm-hmm. thing work with this thing. And there's a bunch of people with glasses and really smart and they're trying really hard. Um, but there is a, the the framing is different and the attitude is different and so thus the experience is different they both can live side by side without feeling like the martian does not feel like a copy of apollo 13 it does it feels like it's in a similar genre but it, the difference is meaningfully or the experience is meaningfully different which yeah. is what you do in genre makes it fun yeah i think that's fun and very true and I think we have to point out that it's really genius that Andy Weir makes Mark Watney a botanist. Yes. He's not an astrophysicist. You don't spend 300 pages or two hours of your life watching someone talk about science that you really don't have any experience with. We all get what's involved when a person cuts a potato into quarters and the potato has eyes and they're going to plant those potatoes in dirt and you need something to fertilize it and then you get like the 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 fertile land of poop jokes yes. that result from the way that he has to fertilize his potatoes. It's totally relatable. We've all tried to grow something and everybody's had that experience at least of thinking about that kind of science. It's a very uh, accessible place to put your character. I think that's a great point. And I had in my notes that I think in the movie and the book, 
the potato farming story is the best part of both of them. And for mm-hmm. the reasons you just say, it's the most Robinson Crusoe, I got to figure out how to have food. It lends itself to the epistolary structure because he's giving us updates about how things are going and narrating what's this. The voice, he gets to be a botanist and there's poop and he's trying to survive. Like talk about high-low. He's got to dig up his own crap and then eat the stuff so he doesn't die. He can't get any more high-low than that. Like It's only better if Mary Roach is there with him to document this and tell jokes about it too. And then like you say, it's the the science that's the most explicable to a generally well-educated person. Once we're doing, we're we're synthesizing oxygen over an iridium catalyst, I'm a little out, to be honest with you. But on the potatoes, like I get potatoes. Yeah, I eat those too. I'm just like this. You know, like you watched this with your kids last night and you've got what, fourth grade in the Fifth and third. Fifth and third. third. So on average, yes, my my, my average average child is a fourth grader. Fourth grader, your average child. Don't tell them that. Uh, We've just, we're lumping you together into like one collective child it's fine for your identities (laughs) that that if you made it to like fifth grade science you get the Mm -hmm. water cycle so you understand what he's doing with trying to like create um evaporated water that then forms condensation and then rains down like you can understand that you can comprehend what's going on with the plants i don't think you even have to be reasonably well educated to to get to that place in the story well i'm saying grade school is reasonably like you understand a little bit of like yeah if you're interested in the science at all, you need, that's the most accessible piece is like water and air and fertilizer and potatoes. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. it's very light on what is it from Lauren Graham's memoir. She talks about like doing a medical, being on some sort of medical drama. <laughs> right, yes, and that when yeah, she was, yeah, yeah. before she had learned medical terminology, she would read her script. And instead of saying the terminology, she would just go medical, medical. And you can, we've definitely all also seen space movies where it's like science word, science word, science word. And it's pretty light on that. Andy Weir makes everything very understandable and does explain the complex parts. But even those are jokey. Like, hey, I've heard it's not a great idea to go dig up a giant radioactive thing. <laughs> yeah. Fire, <laughs> death, space. They all right. go together. That kind of stuff. Right, right. Okay, on rereading then. So that's that's a big chunk why we like The Martian, why it works. I think it holds up in a lot of the same ways. The thing that's different now is it's not new. At that at that time it's hard there wasn't something kind of like this. I mean, that's one that's why you get a phenomenon. Is it feels mm-hmm. like a fresh approach to something people care about and I think those are the the reason it goes to it. But let's go back let's go to rereading. Been a while. You've seen you like me have seen the movie several yeah. times since you've read it. So now probably we were ready to be surprised by things in the book or had forgotten Anything in the book that was that jumped out to you to, that's uh, I can't remember or I forgot or any what what was uh, unexpected? You know, I think I had forgotten exactly how many catastrophes Watney has yeah, in the yeah. book. Right, <laughs> like you get the sense from the movie of the just ongoing problem solving and that there's a win and then there's a failure and then there's a win and then there's another failure and like that his life is on the line and in all of them. Um, but there's just the repetitiveness and that I was invested every time about what was going to happen. Um, like you, I have seen this movie many times and it has entered the realm of like, if it's on TV, I'm going to mm-hmm. watch tw- 25 minutes of it. So I think this was maybe only the second or third time I've intentionally watched the whole thing. Um, But I feel like it's impossible to read the book now without hearing it in Matt Damon's voice. Impossible. Which is a gift. It's wonderful. I found that to be really delightful. Um, I also, I mean, 2011 was such an interesting time 
culturally and where technology mm. was that I was really stuck on some of the little details that we are used to build out the world. Like some of it is exactly what would happen today or, or believable for what would happen today. Or like the postal service makes a commemorative stamp. What a weird it, detail that was. Yeah. But, that, I didn't have but, that, but that was so strange. But I love, I was like, this is such an obscure thing, but it would happen. Like, I feel like Andy Weir sat down and thought about what would be going on on earth right now. And mm. you know, they make a commemorative stamp and then it turns out he's not dead. And so then they have to retract it. And there's the stuff around the news cycle I thought was really interesting in the book and that there's, you know, the Watney report that's happening. And if he wrote this book today, or even if they remade the movie today, it's not just the Watney report that's on all of the 24 hour cable news channels, but like there are Mark Watney memes and there are people like taking the videos that are released from NASA and turning them into TikTok things. And Watney probably ends up with like an Instagram account that he's posting to from space. And all of that like was just a whole Reddit thread about how it's all fake. That certainly would happen. Right. There's podcasts like documenting the updates about Mark Watney each week. Right. And then equal podcast about how this is all completely made up. And he's just in a sound stage. I'm going to I have thoughts about those very (laughs) questions. I'm going to save them for the end where we talk about like, let's not think about it too hard, but actually think about it too hard because I agree. Uh, Anything else in the reread that jumped out to you? Man, not really. I, I It was really fun. I was mm. surprised by how much fun it was to reread it because I felt like I wasn't going to be surprised simply because I've seen the movie so many yeah. times. And, and it was just great. I think there's a little more gravitas in the book than I remembered. Mm. The, the movie has its heavier and the movie has its poignant moments. But the book definitely made me pause several times and be like, where is the trauma therapist that should be emailing him? That's interesting. Yeah. One of my observations was the the book's tone was a lot lighter than I remember because I think mm -hmm. the movie's actually darker, like literally darker because it's, but like, you know, seeing Damon actually pull a piece of thing out of his stomach is way different than the saying, I just pulled this and him crying and screaming. Like it's just more visceral. It is. And I had, I think different things come across as poignant in the book and the movie for that reason that stuff just, there are some things that seeing them makes them so much more powerful. Like the scene near the end where he's writing to, I think in the book it's Martinez, but in the movie it's Lewis. And he's saying, if I die, I need you to talk to my parents. And that's, it's one paragraph in the book. So you kind of take a pause and like breathe a deep breath with Mark Watney about what he must be feeling in that moment. But watching an actor portray that and hearing Matt Damon's voice do it was, uh, had a much bigger impact on me there. But I think I agree that the book is lighter in tone than I remembered, but also maybe just the sheer volume of stuff mm-hmm. that Watney's overcoming in the book. Because the movie, I think, does a really good job of like taking the biggest beats and the most fun scenes and and pulling them out and making them into the narrative. But there's still so much more that happens on the page that you just have this building sense of like, oh my god, what this guy is going through. Yeah, that, well, I've noticed that too. A lot of storms. They need to invest more in meteorology uh, <laughs> survivability on Mars. It turns out from mm-hmm. the very beginning that's one. Um, I think there was a lot more pretty detailed science stuff that I skimmed yes, about yeah. chemistry, especially. It's fine, but like that's not it, it's not cinematic. So the only one you really need is I think that he blows himself up a little when he's trying to make water because that's part of the potato farming thing. Everything else about the oxygen and my urine and, and hydrazine, it's like uh, there's well, it's pretty. It's a tough hang for a yeah, lot of those things. And I think the first time I read the book. 
I read all those details because I didn't know where it was going and how he was going to survive or not. And so you need to know what's happening Mm -hmm. and how it works. But I certainly skimmed the science on the reread. Metric system. I understand that's what scientists use and astronauts (laughs) use. But as a reader, I'm like, how big is this thing? How heavy? How far are we going? Just a lot of in my head. I, I, you know how they did? They did a YA version of The Martian. I need a, an imperial they system did? of The Martian. I think they did. They did I think a they YA did. version? That's I don't know what so they smart. cut out. I guess the first line, right? There's only, there's very little cussing, but you get, and understandably, that's where you're going to cuss, yeah. the first line. Uh-huh. But I need an imperial system version of The Martian. Or maybe that'd be a nice feature for Kindles or e-readers to add where I can select, <laughs> can I convert all these things into the imperial system? Give it to that me should. in yards, to quote uh, Notting Hill. Um, that should be a setting for just all books. I agree. Don't. Or the internet. Can I just have a Chrome <laughs> extension that converts all metric you know, crap our, into imperial Our colleague Clint is definitely listening to this right now, preparing to text us about how we're being too um, American-centric about that. I'm not being American-centric. I'm being me-centric. <laughs> I don't care what other Americans think. I'm trying to understand how many, how far, thirty, how far is thirty-two hundred kilometers? I have literally no idea without Not like getting out my calculator. Of imperialism, just selfish because of me. I'm on board with that. That's right. So there's a lot of that, and I get that's what astronauts do, and blah blah blah. But in terms of a, a, an American audience, very tough hang. <laughs> that's what astronauts do. Blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, very good. Well, hello and welcome to the Martian. Uh, uh, kind of, I, I'd forgotten how many kind of strange variations in point of view moving between Houston and Hermes and Watney. And then there's a couple of scenes that are Watney that aren't first person, they're third person yeah, describing him. Are... That was a little unusual. I had forgotten there was kind of I a had... poo poo platter of points of view there. Yeah, I had forgotten those, the ones that just like describe the astronaut moving about. And yeah. I didn't find them to be terribly essential, but I, no. I think. For all the other stuff, like especially moving between all the different plate, the different conversations and the different NASA people that we meet on Earth, Weir manages that pretty well. You always know where you are. Um, one is, and I don't know who I was in 2011. I don't remember. My, my consciousness has evolved to this point where there's a couple <laughs> uses of describing something as ghetto that mm-hmm. is not all right. It's not yeah. what we shouldn't say that, but they're also not describing the right thing and. Just don't do it. I'm, I've used this as a younger person to describe what a sort of makeshift solution to something, I guess, is what that means. And it's not meant overtly racial. It's just the regular structural racism that's built into language and American understanding, especially white American male understanding things. It's, you don't need it. You didn't need it. Yeah. It's not great. It sticks out. I would get rid of that in my bespoke I Kindle would, edition as well. I, I would get rid of that. I thought for the most part, it aged better than I would expect something yeah. from 2011 to age. But there's also the little moment where the potatoes have successfully grown and he's getting an email from the University of Chicago that's like, you know, once you have grown crops on a place, you've colonized it. And he's like, so I've colonized Mars. And like, we definitely talk about colonization differently now yeah, than we did. I noticed that one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, than we did 10 years ago. And I don't think that he would be celebrating it that way or there would be different language around it. Yeah, there's one about, you know, a joke about the Chinese putting an eyeball in your food i'm like i'm not sure that's mm-hmm. what we're wanting to do here but on the whole but i did those stuck out to me now as the kind yeah. of reader i am now and they don't it the thing that well all of it stinks but like you soak is so easily avoided <laughs> you know it was it wasn't built in in a lot of ways that uh, it could have been otherwise let's see potato farming is the best part weird very <laughs> variation point of view I think another thing I notice now and it's i think it's especially coming back from the movie where actors add things to personality but reading the book 
the characters have almost exactly the same personalities in the book. Mm, mm-hmm. The Hermes crew, I guess Commander Lewis is a little more Tom Hanksy from Apollo 13, and, and she's not literally wearing a crew cut, but has sort of a more militaristic commander point of view. But there's a certain sameness to the personalities all the way around. Yeah. You know, it's Weir's first book. They're all, I think, kind of versions of Weir's voice mm-hmm. and point of view. Not bad necessarily, but in watching the movie, Chastain does something different, and then Michael Pena does something different, and Donald Glover certainly does something. I was yes. like, oh, there's, there's, they're adding wrinkles that weren't really there in the text. And that's not right. bad. It's just something I noticed in reading. Yeah, and I think I was having the same thought, definitely, especially about Donald Glover. I love him in this role. Yes. <laughs> like, he just really brings something to that Rich Purnell moment. Uh, and Jeff Daniels, I, I think, is underappreciated in a role like this. Yeah, it's, we'll get to, I guess that takes yeah. us into the movie then. So let's do another sponsor break and we'll talk about the movie um, on in its own terms okay okay the movie uh the questions we usually ask this is a good adaptation we don't have to spend any time this is a good adaptation yeah it's a good adaptation um what any any general thoughts before we get into more specific questions it opens differently than the book opens and i find it so smart like you could open the movie with the watney realization of i'm here alone on mars but then you'd have to do the flashback and i think just opening with the drama of the yes, storm and agree. watching the thing happen and watching them leave it, w- it was such a smart change to make chemistry among the crew they they spend uh, scott spends what 90 seconds on that before the storm hits like a couple jokes back and forth lewis telling them to shut up essentially mm-hmm. in her in her very militaristic but forthright way it gives you just enough of a substrate to have a relationship that you care when they have to leave him behind yes. right like because in the book he's already gone so you're like kind of backward filling that that was hard or what that meant the other thing is the storm where Watney gets lost, you don't get that. I mean, implicitly, it had to have been the same, but it's pitch black. There's dirt flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. He is. There is no. There is no yeah. going to get Watney. No. There is no like Jessica Chastain's like guilt about it later is actually kind of weird in hindsight. In the book, it plays a little better that she's guilty, but if you look at it objectively mm-hmm. in the moment, it's like you are going to kill everyone if you spend one more minute looking for that dude who is out in that pitch blackness being surrounded by death space. Like there's no, there is very a tough scene at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something on the whole that works better on the book because space is beautiful. Mars is cool to look at and you just don't do that in a book. So I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, and you get that moment near the end where they have Matt Damon talk about like sometimes I go out there and look at the vistas just because I can. And yeah, and you you relate to that in the movie in a way that I don't think he has that line in the book, and it no, you don't need not quite. it. I don't remember. It's nothing's missing because it's not in the book. But after you've spent all this time looking at Mars and imagining what it would be like to walk around there and be the only person, or or like he says, everywhere I go, I'm the first one who's ever been there. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's you know what that experience would feel like is really powerful. Yeah, I mean, and this is my I think space looks great on film. Mm-hmm. Going back to 2001 or even Moonraker with James Bond, spaceships are cool. Spacesuits are cool. Jet engines, ion engines, whatever. The, you can throw whatever science garbage. I'm sucking it all up. Star Wars is – space is cool on film. It's just great. So I think books can never do that. And it's a testament that the Martian, the book itself, that you get some sense of scale and you know desolation and beauty at the same time. But when you watch the movies, like, oh, yeah, there's a reason movies can do things that, that books mm-hmm. can't. Um, anything else that works better in the book? I mean, you can't film the Ermi spaceship sort of right. slowly rotating. That's just cool. I would I would say that's a screensaver, that thing. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, 
It is really cool. There's a couple things that stood out to me. On the fun tip, I think all, the disco stuff is fun in the book, but it plays so well in the movie. Yeah, of, He's listening to this stuff. He hates it, but then he's also kind of like bop, like in the dad joke vein, like sort of bopping around while he's driving the rover, listening to Donna Summer. Um, that stuff was really wonderful. Um, and I loved... Well, I not loved because it's really sad, but I appreciated the scene after the hab explodes from his little fire experiment and how devastating that is. That his whole, like the place he's living and most of his safety is tied up in that explodes and is gone. And Damon brings that to life so wonderfully that this, how devastating it is, how scary it is. And that the, then he then has to like pick himself up and duct tape a tarp together and put mm-hmm. it over the opening and then get inside and like hope it's okay. Um, how and I think he talks in the in the book about having a little cry after that, but it really comes across on screen better. Um, and just this, I think the sense of humor. Matt Damon is perfectly cast in this movie. Um, the sense of humor plays well on the page, but is just wonderful in somebody's voice and getting to see a face do all of the things and experience all the things that a person would, would experience. Also, I like that they changed the ending and that Watney actually gets to do the Iron Man trick. Yes. I like that too. We should talk about the very, very end as well. (laughs) I'm not sure. I I just, uh, I'm not sure exactly his, the hair choice. I I never will understand the hair uh, at the end. It doesn't, his hair after being in space for a year by itself. Anyway, I will get to that. Um, Yeah. I think, having Watney be embodied just matters. It's mm-hmm. it's an uncomfortable truth. I know there's this thing about book nerds and the book is always better, but I'm sorry mm-hmm. sometimes humans are great and watching <laughs> a human have feelings is different, mm-hmm. especially if it's done well. And here's the other thing is that where books can generally be better is interiority interiority in thinking, right? Which is mm-hmm. has to be dialogue or voiceover in a movie. But since The Martian already is interiority in voiceover, it doesn't add, you don't learn a lot more about Watney's thoughts in the book than you do in the movie because it's kind of presented in the same way as opposed to something like Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. where you get a lot of in Lizzie's head and that kind of stuff is very hard to communicate. So that the depth of character, the depth of interiority, which books crush movies and TV on generally, yep. it's an advantage that the book kind of takes away. Or the movie, you know, it already is like anything mm-hmm. I'm doing could have been, can be filmed. It wasn't one of the reasons the movie works so well. Anything that the book does do better, though? Did you have any like I kind of wish or I missed or uh, anything else like that? I think the book captures really the tedium of that experience. I think and the, I had like, the exact same point. Thank you so much. Say, say more about that. Yeah. Then just the repetitiveness of like I did this and I'm going to do it again tomorrow or when he especially in the front parts of the book like when he's first doing that 20 day 20 soul experiment to try to drive the rover and see if he's if he can make it all the way to get to pathfinder we're with him it with entries almost every day about like i drove and i then i laid out the um, solar panels and i cleaned them off and this thing is happening and now i'm just gonna sit here for eight hours and watch 70s tv shows Mm -hmm. while they charge and that's what i'm doing and the just the repetition of these really tedious things like it's tedious to keep your human body alive on earth <laughs> <It really is. laughs> and, and like you know as i think we all had that experience early in the pandemic of like i have to make myself another lunch on another Unbelievable. day this is unconscionable <laughs> two minutes of flossing every right. day 
insane. How dare? And he, that this guy has got to like do all of those things. And it's it has the added layer of like, and he's eating a potato for yeah. every meal and then spending eight hours watching 70s TV. And then he, he just knows that the next 20 days are going to be the exact same thing, plus whatever new disaster science and Mars decide to throw at him. Just how exhausting that would be and then how resilient Watney has to be come it just to me that just comes across so much more in the book because you get so much more space in a book to illustrate right. those kinds of things and they as I said like I think they did a great job in the adaptation of pulling out the big stuff but you do lose that sense of like all right he's been there for 400 and some odd days but like what does that really feel mm -hmm. like what were those days like and most of them were probably boring so boring and, yeah, really so it's a slog mars for two like for two years is a slog and he did it <laughs> yeah i think that's that's a point i hadn't i hadn't thought till you said about it, the tedium but also one thing that the books do because you spend more time with them is you can have 200 pages in the middle that for most people takes two to three hours to read which mm -hmm. that's longer than the movie and that's just the right. middle bit so the whole thing does feel like it's more of a saga and epic a slog because you spend more time with the book. So you get more now again, it'd be different if this was a 10 part miniseries, which I could totally be. Um, yes. We'll talk about in the middle, maybe talk about the end again. But yeah, that sense of like how hard it is and how much time it takes and repetitive, physical, grueling, mental, physical and emotional effort. Um, it really took uh, but but outside of that, I think the movie's better in almost every other way mm -hmm. because of what movies do and how cinematic and how you know, one of the things I remember us talking about as a book ride sort of staff at the point, I was like, this is going to be a great movie. Like almost instantly, Ridley uh -huh. Scott was interested. I think most of us who were thinking about it was like Damon. Damon Damon was like the <laughs> draft, number one draft pick um, for being Mark Watney. I think it holds up especially well, though I want to talk uh -huh. about that a little bit too. Um, so yeah, I think those things. Now, the movie does a lot of things better. I think the crew has better personalities. I think we spend... We get to know the characters in Houston on Ermes a lot better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We just do. They're they're essential parts. The the movie makes more proportional time for them. Yes. Than the the book does. Look, you know, Chastain is very great. I love mm -hmm. Chastain. She's doing many things that I like. I very much like Chastain in her Zero Dark Thirty, Miss Sloan, <laughs> Molly's Game mode, competent. <laughs> woman telling people how it is knowing more than other people having to make hard decisions she's as good as anybody at it i think it's a great part for her i agree uh, she's wonderful she's my she's my number two draft pick after damon of course yeah in terms of your cast power rankings who who else is important here to get right or to do well or to do right by the whole thing yeah you know i think that teddy running nasa is important to do right and i really like jeff daniels in this role mm -hmm. um Rich Purnell comes to life a lot more. Like I would not have read the book and said, "Man, they really got to be careful about who they cast as Rich Purnell." But putting Donald Glover in unbelievable that spot. fastballs <laughs> from Donald Glover coming off just, out of the bullpen, and, throwing ninety nine the whole time. And, uh, I was having to remind myself, like, okay, twenty eleven. I think Community was airing. And Donald yeah. Glover was like just sort of coming up then. We didn't know anything about where his tv career was going to go yeah. or that he was going to have a music career at all but you can see like glimmers of he's just great um i i love Kristen wig in general but i wanted more from the annie character in... mm, say more about that i didn't mark that down but i agree with you but oh. why am, why are we right about this i think that's an incredibly hard job it would be super stressful to be the press 
face of a news story like this. And Wig is like almost too funny and too light for it. Like mm-hmm. I wanted just someone with a little more darkness or like a something, some sharper edges like I wanted to believe that she was really mad at them and also that they had to care and Her I think anger she's in the book doesn't come in the movie we don't get we doesn't yeah because she's mad and she's throwing elbows and chastising right. people and really in the mix and she's just doing a lot of reacting and boy I can't believe this stuff uh, yeah and I was trying right to that. I was trying to think about who I would cast in that role instead mm. and like I don't know if you've watched Insecure, um, but... I have not. The woman who plays Issa Rae's best friend on Insecure, her name is Yvonne Orji, and she has that same, like, very sort of sharp, polished presentation, but also you believe that you do not want her to get mad at you. And I think that's what that Annie character needs from this. Yeah, Yeah, she's not... So the 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 totemic um, press secretary is of course C.J. Craig, and one of the right. things that makes C.J. great is she's tall <laughs> and she's goofy, but is also fiercely competent and better than anyone else at that job. And mm-hmm. because we see them fail, right? We see Sam fail and the president, even Leo. And whereas Teddy does just as well when he's yeah, doing his yeah. stand-ups, right? It's like why isn't Teddy doing this all the time? And we never actually see her in front of anyone, so it's a little clear. What value Adji has. I think in the book, she is a useful foil to the dudes mm-hmm. kind of astronauting it up and being yeah. like thinking about how humans are going to understand this. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, she doesn't, she's not bad. She doesn't add much. Well, uh, I, I think is interesting. I think, yeah, and I think that we're sold that character a little bit short. Like a person who's the head publicist or whatever, her press secretary, I guess, for NASA would be incredibly smart and would not ask, can he take his helmet off for the photo op outside? That's a great point. That I've and, noticed that. I didn't think about putting that in her mouth, but that idea at all, it's like, no, everyone should understand that there is no there's no <laughs> facility for this to happen. Yeah. But then in the in the category of things we just try not to think about too hard, especially in the movie, he's like mounting GoPros in the corners of the hab and talking to them so can he not take a selfie and can he not hook the gopro up to that computer that he hacked after they gave him directions and send them pictures of things we're a little loosey-goosey on the (laughs) bandwidth to earth especially in 2011 yeah a little loosey-goosey i think we're it's one of those things like the powers of a superhero are conveniently scaled to what's useful because sometimes Professor X can take over the mind of everyone on Earth. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like he can just sort of suggest that you like want coffee instead of tea. (laughs) But you're like, okay, we're trying to tell a good story here, but I agree with you. It's a little unclear. Like once we get the thing set up, he could get new music as compressed mp3s it might take a week but he's got to he's got to dig rocks for six days he can download you know the pearl gem album that certainly was his favorite at university of chicago uh that's kind of weird what works other things that work great i think um the crew is wonderful you know Mm -hmm. do i do i do i need sebastian stan and rooney mara do they give me a whole lot they're fine but it's like or is it Kate or Rooney Mara? I think that tells you all you need to know. They're both not Anna Kendrick. Uh, so right. I'm not sure what to do with that as well. And, and I wanted more from, oh, is it Sean Bean who plays Mitch Henderson? I've got a question a, about this. Why is there a Scotsman in NASA? What Do we not know Americans that can be flight commander? What happened It here? is. 
That is Sean Bean, right? I was like, that's it a is Lord Sean of the Bean. Rings person, yeah. but I didn't Boromir, care. Boromir, who I did like, so, who, yes. in the Council of Elrond, he was at the Council of Elrond as right. Boromir, and he was the guy saying, you're all being idiots. It's true, it's I love true, that. I don't genius. know if they did that on and purpose, but it's I great. think Mitch Henderson gets to be angrier on the yes. page in the book than he gets to be on screen, and that tension between Mitch and Teddy about, should we tell them or should we not tell them, and when should we tell them, and who's going to tell them, and what is what is our ethical responsibility to everybody who's involved here is a bigger question in the book that I know they don't have time to do all no. of the things on screen, but I wanted, I guess, a, a bigger performance or more emotional performance from Mitch Henderson than we get from Sean Bean. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I hadn't thought about that, but you want a little bit more of a, you know, an inherit the, is it inherit the wind? What's the one that's the scopes monkey trial where you get the collision of ideas. You want a little bit more of like both sides with more of a full throated. Cause it's actually, I think a fairly interesting discussion. Rowan, my daughter in the middle was like, I can kind of see point of their point of view. It's like, yeah, Uh I can too. And it doesn't really, I don't know. That's where a Sorkin maybe would be helpful yes, to use the Jeff yeah, Daniels I, uh-huh. trying to play both sides and how they're both right and they're both wrong. The truth is there's no right answer. They're right. all compromised yeah. and very difficult. Yeah, do. I think a Sorkin would have been a useful thing there and, and some Sorkin-esque casting might have been useful because I was watching that thinking... I've had more heated arguments at this about work and I talk about books on the internet. That's right. And like, and they're talking about like people's lives are at stake and they're not even kind of raising their voices at mm. each other. There's not much passion happening here. Like I, I think you would be, it would be heated and it just doesn't get heated on screen in the way that I was like, mm, come on a little bit more. That's the other thing that struck me is that no one a screws up in a way that we would say screwing up and no one gets mad. Mm-hmm. No one gets mad at another person in this, yeah. which I guess is not the point because it's really <laughs> human versus nature. And so humans, we all got to stick together, right? Nature is, a, you well, know, if, if, mean, if nature is a nightmare, uh, space is a complete it's, catastrophe. It's human versus nature up on Mars, but it's right. still humans dealing with each other down on Earth and in the NASA situation. And I just uh, did not believe that those discussions would all go in the way that they go on screen and and andy weir i think is responsible for a little bit of that like but there's more there is more heat on the page than there is on the screen of these people disagreeing with each other because of how high the stakes are and because it really really matters that they try to get it right and like mitch i think it's really bold when henderson looks at teddy and calls him a coward it is it is very bold but it's like quiet on screen. No, you know? they pulled like, the punch. I think that's what you're saying is they pulled yeah, the punch with Mitch. Yes, I yeah. And I wanted a full punch, like fists pounding on the table. You're a coward. How could you do this? Like if you're ever going to yell at your boss, that's the moment, Mitch Henderson. Yeah. You want Jeff Daniels in the newsroom kind right. of vibes yeah, yes. here, something yeah. else going on mm-hmm. with that. And one of the, this is, we don't know if this is a club Weir has in his golf bag yet, but interpersonal relationships have sort of two conduits in both this and future weird novels we can talk about. Mm-hmm. It's either we're we're busting each other's balls or we're figuring out something together. Those are the relationships. Th- those are the vectors we have. And that's fine. But there is a version of this where some of the interpersonal stuff is is more interesting than don't we all really agree in 45 seconds to spend the next year and a half in space to save Watney when I got kids at home? That's right. what I was thinking. I was like, really? Jo- yeah, I or, think- yeah, back in what's his name? You're like, that was... 
Now, maybe they would come with like, was it that simple? But again, that's not what the movie is about. And I get that. Yeah. But it is, it is a weakness of the whole thing. To jump to, could this be a 10-episode Netflix yes. series? Which it absolutely could. I think you would do more of that. You would yeah. get like Annie going home from work and, you know, like venting to a friend mm-hmm. or a partner about these stupid guys that she works with who don't understand that she's the one who has to get out there in front of everybody all day. And then you would get the conversations that the like partners of these astronauts are having together back on Earth about like, I can't believe they're doing this. And oh, really? I, I kind of support it. Like you could build out that whole world in a way that made everybody's that makes everybody's humanity richer, I think, because yeah. I had the same thought, like, I don't have kids. But if my husband were like, you know what, I'm going to come home 533 days later (laughs) is that cool i think i could probably ultimately be in the place of like i get what you're doing but i wouldn't agree to it until i had had the moment to be like yeah i'm gonna agree to this but we're gonna talk about what i'm doing here for you also (laughs) you would feel some kind of way about it (laughs) we all would you would feel some kind of way and if you've got kids you're talking about missing another almost two years of your kids lives and that's a real hardship being the partner of an astronaut isn't easy in the first place like somebody needs to be angry at somebody else in this story and it just doesn't happen yeah in um the 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 most tense interpersonal moment of apollo 13 because we're using some of these as foils is bill paxton and kevin bacon arguing about whether or not it was kevin bacon's fault that he stirred the tanks and the thing and and Real animosity there, and it bu- bubbles mm-hmm. up, and Hanks has to intervene, and they have to come to sort of detente, and it's resolved a little bit. But you get a yeah. little bit of the frisson of, like, people are different, their lives are at stake, and this is high stress, and probably you're going to even do more punching each other in the mouth emotionally, yeah, maybe even physically. Especially in... within the crew back on the Hermes. Like, I think that, you know, they've worked together for years. They've been in this very small space. They know each other super well. And like, yes, I get that astronauts are chosen to be even keeled, but everybody... No one's even killed all the time <laughs> and in a high stress situation like you left your buddy on Mars and you didn't realize it and now you might have to stay in space for two more years like those people are going to know how to push each other's buttons and they're also going to know in an argument what each of them is going to tend to do and I think right. like you could have That's written right. a, there there could have been a scene there of them hashing out what should we do and someone is resisting and someone really wants to go and it becomes this like well this is the thing you always do you know which which is what would happen with mm-hmm. five people in a tiny space yeah <laughs> having also that the ship is way bigger in the movie than it's described in the book. oh you, yeah i, I mean I it's an unbelievable like, there's a condo in the sky unbelievable yeah. stuff the condo in the sky yeah the bunks are much swankier i had that note also that like you actually get a bunk in the movie and in yes. the book it's like we get these little weird hammock things and at That's some right. point when he's achy and tired near the end he figures out how to like submerge his hammock and take a bath and I, that was a pro- that was a moment for me of like i understand you mark watney i would also be trying to figure out how to have a hot bath in space ridley scott likes to shoot cool stuff in space and god love him for it because i liked it but there's i remember in the book there's this one scene where they're getting together to decide whether or not to to turn around and get Watney. It's like, and the conference room is barely big enough to fit six because, of course, you only need to fit six. That yeah. same conference, the same, their own council of Elrond, 
happens in this like space lounge that has multiple seating groups that can fit yeah, six i'm like what is this, this is the the club med uh saturn i don't know what this is i think is. that that's also part of why the movie doesn't convey like the tedium and the pain yeah. of being an astronaut because we don't see him going to bed in a weird hammock thing and we don't see the crew all smushed together around yes. a table really thinking about how much they wanted to kill each other sometimes because they couldn't get away from each other Right. You got 50 days of just to play with those tunnels where you kind of propel yourself by using those uneven bars. Like I would mm-hmm. do that for three weeks. That looks great. Yeah. Uh, not Ken, not Anna Kendrick is just using the, the exercise <laughs> machines. Just, it is just, a crime that Anna Kendrick is not in this movie. Are we sure she's not? That's not Anna Kendrick. She's in a bad space movie that Netflix produced yeah. earlier this year. The, the the litany of bad Netflix space movies is a real genre and, and That's worth true. discussion in some other... <laughs> thoughts and formats while we're on their casting i think at the time matt damon is the obvious choice i think maybe even today Uh even still the obvious choice we talked about this before about project hail mary there's a similar character that's very similar though i will say this in in talking about how the um moral turpitude of the characters in the martians is relatively undisturbed Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the case in Project Hammer. A little bit more right. interesting stuff going That's on there. True. So I, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that. Though you could, be, Matt Damon could, I think, do that as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask Jeff's always question. Are we sure this movie is not better if Zendaya is the main character? <laughs> We're not sure. I think Zendaya is a little young. She's a little I young. Was, I cannot think of a... I was also thinking about the Matt Damon question. And I couldn't land on another, like early middle-aged white guy that I thought could do that role better than he can. But I was like, okay, you know, obviously astronauts don't have to be middle-aged white guys. Um, I would love to see Regina King be an astronaut. Mm. That is, I landed on that. I'd love to see her in the role Zendaya in another 15 years, maybe. Well, maybe let's, let's linger on that. Cause what does Damon do that these people were talking about do you need smart? You need to play smart on screen, which is, It sounds hard, or it sounds weird, but some people read as smarter. Like, this is a dumb thing to say. I think Hanks is great. I don't think he reads as smart as Damon on film. And I don't know if it's because of Goodwill Hunting or all this Harvard stuff we have about Damon, but whatever it is, Hanks is the crew commander, but I don't think he's Watney, necessarily. Um, Whereas I think Zendaya reads as super smart and Mm -hmm. really funny and droll, and she can do Euphoria, and she can do... Uh, Marvel droll stuff, like you know, in Spider-Man stuff, she can yeah, do all that yeah. kind of stuff. If she's a little bit older, I would, I would pick her. I'm not sure she wouldn't be better. Here's another thing: what if Chastain is Watney? Not funny enough. That. Not I, funny enough. I don't think she's funny enough. Yeah, or Glover could do it now. Her. Glover could do yeah, it. Yeah, Donald Glover could 100 yeah. percent do that and I started alternative casting the rest of the roles like I had this moment and I'm sure it's just from watching Breaking Bad where I was like could Aaron Paul have been Mark Watney and Mm -hmm. I can't decide if it's just the overlap of like I'm gonna science the shit out of this and that I got to see Aaron Paul do that in Breaking Bad there's I think he might be too dark um yeah for the for the role and maybe not quite the voice isn't right that you have to be able to pull off some cheesy jokes that you know are cheesy but you enjoy them anyway yeah, and in other characters, like I wanted, I love the woman who played 
Mindy, who was Cameron on um, yeah, Mackenzie Davis. Fire. She's great. Yes, Mackenzie Davis. She was great and well cast. But I, you know, it would be interesting to see somebody new do this if they were making it today. And yeah. I loved. Have you watched Mythic Quest on Apple TV? You've yet? recommended to me. It's on our. You know, when I have to get a flu someday okay. in ten years, yeah. when I'm around other people, I'll probably fire. That There's up then. a woman, Charlotte Neekdal plays this woman named Poppy Lee on the show, who's like a programmer who's funny and takes herself seriously, but like also like gets a little wounded sometimes. And we see some of that. That with the Mindy Park character and I think Charlotte Neekdow would have been great mm-hmm. in it um, also in Mythic Quest Danny Putty from Community has this like completely different role than what he played in Community and he's this like very sharky kind of business dude on Mythic mm. Quest and that made me think like they could have put him in the Kristen Wiig role in an updated version of this like a sharky dude you know publicity guy I like that I think the other one mm-hmm. I had and because the I'm going to watch The Chair at some point, so Sandra mm-hmm. O's in my brain. Oh, I kind yeah. of wanted her for the Sean Bean role. She's tough. Yes. She's smart. She I love that. She takes no quarter. She gives no quarter, takes no crap. Um, I think she would have been really good in a, a, a little bit of sharpness, a little more sharpness, I think, in the uh, in the texture palette of this people in Houston mm-hmm. especially. All right. Best not to think about. Um <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the thinking behind Matt Damon's hairpiece at the end is. I don't. It's uh, it's terrible. It's bad. It's distracting. I don't know what the. I don't know what they were thinking. Especially it's clearly a wig. I don't get. It. I don't get it like, at all. Especially because now we know what Matt Damon in his early fifties looks like, and he doesn't need that hairpiece. No, I, I don't. I'm not. It's supposed to be a lot. It's not that much later. I don't think we don't. We're, no, no dates in any of this, which is yeah. the right move. We don't want to try to think, well, this really happened in 10 years. But like his hair at the beginning of it is a regular Matt Damon's astronaut haircut. I don't understand why he's kind of doing the accountant dad who doesn't get it cut off the enough. but still glasses. wants to. Yeah, the very tough look for Damon at the end. I don't it understand is, that at all. It is. He had, There's no edge in Damon in that last glimpse of him yeah. and this character has edge through the rest not a lot of it not in a like super dark way but he has some flavor and that's just a very bland moment there related mark watney if this actually happens he comes back he's the most famous person in the world yeah right he's writing a book he's going on book tour he's on every talk show and now he's on every podcast and like yeah. maybe he goes and does a guest lecture at nasa we dig up some problematic tweets um, from seven years ago, uh, we unfortunately we now have all of his thoughts on camera that are being scrutinized within an inch of his life. Uh-huh. Uh, very, it, I'm not sure I want to be Mark Watney coming back. Can you get canceled while you're alone on another planet? I think I think the internet would say yes. <laughs> I think the internet would say yes. Other unanswerable questions. The book talks about this a little bit. The cost-benefit ratio here of saving one person Mm. is a little disturbing. On the other hand, I think it might go down a lot like this in a a lot of ways. I think it would because it's not entirely rational. It's the the weight of this one life that's so far away and that everyone's been watching Mm -hmm. and what he's trying to achieve. I think the upside there, if we saved this guy feels bigger to everyone who's making that decision or to most of the people making that decision than the possibility of some astronauts died, which of course would be big and bad, but also we have experience feeling that um, as people. So Commander Lewis brings only disco and Johansson brings only (laughs) 70s and no one else brought any media. Watney himself brought nothing. (laughs) 
for a three. That's that was it. Those are the two media dumps were Johansson's disco. No, Johansson's mm-hmm. 70s TV shows and Lewis's disco. The rest of the characters brought nothing. I had that question as well. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to know what would be on your data stick. <sighs> That's a great question. Um, probably, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like, if I, Am I getting a terabyte drive? I can put almost everything I've ever listened to well, on this, there, right? Yeah, it, rem- it made me think of how much the technology has advanced between The Martian and Project yeah. Hail Mary because he mentions, Weir mentions in Project Hail Mary that like they have computers and files that have like every textbook ever written. He yep. could get any album that he wanted. He has all the things. The technology is so much richer. But 2011, you got to like, you got to narrow it down. I think... I think they could have put a hard drive, a 10 terabyte hard drive with almost everything on there. I think as a gag, it doesn't work if you yeah. think about actually you could have right. basically all the 80s and 90s music you want on a Blu-ray which, or you mm-hmm. know, a, a, a solid state disc, which was around there. But anyway, kind of funny to think about too. Also, this is a really small one. This is so weird. It bothers me so much. So Watney's been watching all the 70s TV and he's like doing the Fonz and he takes a picture doing the Fonz, but it's like super blurry. And right away they're like, Really? He's doing the Fonz? I'd be like, <laughs> who would know? Who would recognize? doesn't look like anything. No one also, gets like, that he's doing the Fonz in that picture. People just do thumbs up in pictures. Yeah, the Fonz doesn't own thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up existed like whole... before the Fonz. I don't right. know. I think that was a misfire. It's kind of a weird thing. To, I to agree. Get up I agree. Uh, let's see. Any, you have anything else that struck you as don't oh. think about it too hard? Or I mean, the like the he's got these GoPros and can't they? He hooked them to a computer was yeah. the, the one that really that really stuck out to me. There, I'm sure there are. Well, that's that's the counterpoint here. to your how much media it has apparently enough to have high res video storage for all of this, right. but we we couldn't have slapped on you know the catalog of Nirvana onto a thumb drive <laughs> or something else like that. Kind of strange. Yeah, it would have and it would have been nice for Weir to wrap in like, okay, we get it that he's tired of disco, but like, what does Mark Watney want to be listening to? I um, thought that was even a better question. All of his media sort of like found he's reading like Agatha Christie because what it's there. He's listening, but like in. I think he's trying to figure out what his hair is doing. I think that's what he spends most of his time doing. Like, what is what is he he listen to is a really great question. What happened to yeah. Watney's media stick is a really right. Good like, what did, what does he want to be listening to, or what's the book that he wishes he had? What's the TV show he wants to be watching for the hundredth time? What yeah. Mike Shore vehicle is Mark Watney's favorite? Is really the question. Like, you're going to space. You're definitely taking a Mike Shore TV show. So, which one is it? What is it that you're taking? I, I mean, just because of there's the more seasons you take Parks and Rec. I think. I think. Uh, I do. think that's true. And oh, so speaking of that, it just is occurring to me since we were talking about the trolley problem kind of situation mm. of which one. I think William Jackson Harper would have been good in this, who played Cheaty in The Good oh, Place. Yeah, really good. He could have been any number of characters, yeah, I think, yeah. actually. yeah, He yeah. could have been an angry Mitch Henderson, maybe. Could have he been could have Purnell, been one of the astronauts. Could have he been could have been Purnell. Martinez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that. I love Michael mm-hmm. Pena and everything. Michael Pena always gets roles like this, and I always am glad to see him <laughs> uh, do stuff like this. And uh, only because I'm thinking about I'm preparing my soul to watch Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac in uh, Scenes from a Marriage. Okay. And I think I would have liked to see Oscar Isaac in something here. Isaac is Watney is interesting. We got a mm-hmm. Poe Dameron. He, Matt Damon's a good looking guy. Is Oscar Isaac a little too good looking to do this? Hmm. I'm willing to find out. <laughs> 
that's a tax I would gladly pay for science. For science. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Any other things? Any last thoughts about this? Yeah. Clearly could be a 10-part Netflix movie. Obviously yeah. could be. I love the tacked on ending of the movie. I think I love that they come back to Earth, that we see Matt Damon like doing his thing, even though I don't think that's what Watney's life would actually be like in that mm-hmm. moment. But the like, you just begin and you do the math and you solve one problem and then you solve the next one, like that just speaks to me. <laughs> it, it's a very 2021, 2020. 2021 vibe it really is (laughs) you know i hadn't thought about that but there's probably a reason that's always spoken to me but it really speaks to me now Um, and i did like that they let him do the iron man trick in the movie even though it's it's silly and i liked that they made it lewis in the movie who goes out to get him because in the book it's is it beck who goes out to get him yeah you gotta have it man i think that's the smartest thing they did Mm -hmm. is they made the crescendo of the action, the rescue, where in the book it's him flipping the rover, right? The actual going to get him, they still have to blow out the thing, but it doesn't have the same, you're out there on a limb at the very edge of like fingertips touching in the void of space, which you really get. And it's really beautiful. They got wrapped up in Mm -hmm. this really orange ribbon and it looks great and it's very emotional. And I thought it was very cool the way that they did that. And they gave Lewis, they give Lewis a lot more to do. She makes decisions Mm -hmm. and she's the one that's as, as a commander, you know, let's do this. Don't do that. I'll decide first. We're asking that. It's just great stuff. Yeah. Oh, here's a quibble about the book ah. now that we're thinking about Lewis again. So in the book, we get the, that little bit where like Watney indicates that he tells, I think he tells Beck, like, I know that you are, you and Johansson are into each other. And then it turns out that Lewis has detected this as well. And Lewis like gives them permission to get it on in space because they're going to be gone for another mm. two years. And that's terrible judgment. Cause like, <laughs> Are they not going to break up or at least have a big fight and hate each other? Like, there's a reason that they don't want the astronauts joining the Million Mile High Club, as they put it in the book. Like, why yeah, would Lewis... Put it, uh, I yeah. think you're in a no-win situation there. Because if you say no, and they're already doing it, that goes bad. I, I think there's well, no good I, There's no good way out of that. I'm not well, sure what's like, right, but I hear what you're saying. But, like, Lewis brings it up in the movie and is like... By the way, I've detected this and it's fine. You have my blessing. Like if they just if they want to sneak around, whatever people do that. But like Lewis just sort of outright encourages it. In yeah, the but what do you do? Like you, I guess you're saying just you just don't blind talk about eye it. it. You blind <laughs> eye it. You midwestern it, Jeff. <laughs> you that always works don't. out. That's worked out for both of our family systems over time. It's a good putt we want to read. <laughs> Let's just the military our... should take. <laughs> and have, now, you, have and... you tried being a Methodist? Now an excerpt from our Somebody's Daughter podcast episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, again, the, the interpersonal dynamics is something that wasn't a strength. And again, this is Weir's first book. It's self, we haven't talked about the backstory. Self-published uh, and becomes a hit, gets picked up by Crown, becomes a hit. I think there's rough edges around it that actually kind of mm-hmm. make me appreciate it even more, frankly. Yeah. The core of it is such a good idea executed with heart and humor and intelligence and so what if it's not perfect around some of the other stuff no book is perfect i will take many imperfections like this over so many sort of well-honed polished drab river stones that don't stick out um, (laughs) yeah it's it's optimistic and hopeful in a way that we all want to believe in and andy weir pulls that off really well i think that's our show. Thank you so much, Rebecca. This was a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, we will, and we'll come back and do another one at some point. 
I'm not sure exactly what's next on our list. We we were talking about some of the other movies we want to talk about. You've got Mail is still on the list. Dead Poets is still on the list. But we want to do an adaptation, and it's been a while since we are a good ten year check in on the. And again, we're we're in a we're in a. I'm not even trying to call this the deep breath before the plunge because Project Hail Mary continues to sell very well. Yep. It's a lot of what you like about The Martian, maybe better in a lot of ways. And there's going to be a movie. I think Gosling is now tapped to be oh, the lead. That's excellent. It's fine. I don't think. I think it'll work. Okay. It's okay. not especially inspired. I think he's like not Matt Damon. I kind of wish well, that Weir <laughs> had just... written it so Watney is the main character in Project Hail Mary as well. Can we make not it... just cast Matt Damon as a different character anyway and be like he's good at astronauts? Why does it have to be I a different know. character? I mean, just it, Mark Watney, he, he would, again, it's it's not clear that it's set in the same universe, right? In Project Hail Mary, there's no reference to, like, remember when Mark Watney was in space for a long time? <laughs> like, I don't know if we're in the, the, the AWU, the Andy Ware universe, but if it was, and again, I don't want to spoil it too much, they're looking for someone to do a thing in space for a while. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you be like, That's hey, Mark, true. remember when you survived in space for two years? And then some of the stuff that Project Hail Mary actually happened? Anyway, that's what I want. Maybe My heart Matt desires Damon- that. Now my heart desires a Matt Damon, Mark Watney cameo in the Project Hail Mary movie. Uh, that would be clever and funny. As they're getting ready for Gosling to shoot into space, his, oh, Watney's, uh, Watney's mission commander, or he's like the yes. crew, co- he's Capcom, or whatever. What's yeah. the- they, should, they should do that. They should do that. That would be pretty great. God, I'm Zendaya should be in Project Hail Mary, as I can't even remember the main character's name. P. And I think, I mean, I'm so interested in how they're going to manage. We can't talk about the, it now. It's too interesting. The other main, we, yes. the other main character of yeah. Project Hail Mary. Casting is going to be very tough. I don't think Zendaya could play that one. I don't she think so. She has a lot of range, but that's that's some and range right there. Folks, I'll just say it again. If you have not encountered Project Hail Mary in your reading life yet, you're not going to do better than the audiobook experience of that. It's ideal. It makes me wonder, because there was a redone audiobook of The Martian, because the original one, I think Weir narrated himself, or he subcontracted out himself. It's too bad that Damon doesn't do the audiobook of The Martian. <laughs> it would be yeah. it would be great if that was... It would I, be I know great. it's very good as it is, but in, and for movies like this, I feel like if I were doing movie adaptations, part of the deal to get the person to get the role is... Also, part of your deal is to go record the audiobook and do a new well, recording of the audiobook. In your it voice. seems like if they were making the adaptation of The Martian now, Matt Damon, it would be not out of the realm of possibility to think that he would do the audiobook. We get big celebrities doing Absol- audiobooks. Rosamund all Pike the is time. doing the new Paula Hawkins, and she's like yeah. in Gone Girl on Wheel of Time, like Rosario yeah. Dawson did the one for Artemis. Maybe they'll do a 15th anniversary edition and it can have magic. I still don't understand the economics of getting celebrities to do audiobooks. <laughs> I don't understand it. I never will understand it. As our, you know, favorite podcast guy, Bill Simmons, would say, that's a possibly unanswerable question. Possibly an unanswerable question. Like, wh- how much does it get cost to get Jessica Chastain to narrate anything to me? All right, Rebecca, thank you so much. On that note. We'll talk to you later. 